Before I begin, I'd like to start with a short prayer. Lord, we come before you today, and Lord, uh, despite uh, my sins and failings, and despite the sins and failings of those who hear my voice, we pray, Father, that your word would work in us and through us to grant us your grace, your peace, your strength, and deepen our faith in you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. You're waiting to be married. The problem is you don't have someone to marry. You've been single for a long time. All of your friends seem to have found somebody. You've been praying, but nothing seems to change. You're a talented musician. Everybody says so, and you're more talented than some of those on the radio. You believe that God has given you this gift, and you're practicing, and you're waiting, you're knocking on doors, but nothing seems to change. You desperately want children. You and your husband have been trying for a long time, trying basically everything, but nothing seems to work. It doesn't seem to be in the cards. One of the toughest things in life is to live with unfulfilled desires. And to experience desire is a normal part of life. It's as natural as as an infant child desiring its mother's milk. Some desires we have are good, like like the desire to help people in need or to make a difference with their life, to be somebody. Some desires are bad, like the desire to possess possess something that does not belong to us. Some desires are just a result of being human, like the desire for food or or friendship. But even these normal desires can become twisted when they're not surrendered to God. How do you live when you have unfulfilled desires? The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's in Proverbs 13, 12. In other words, unfulfilled desire can be a painful thing to live with. And that, that begs the question, and the baffling question is, why would God give us desires and then leave us to live with those desires being unfulfilled? Why would God make us live so often with our hope deferred? It doesn't seem to, to make sense to us. It doesn't feel right. Well, today we come to the story of a woman who was living a life with unfulfilled desires. And this woman, her story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And her name is Hannah. And Hannah is introduced to us as someone who has a lot to be sad about, maybe even bitter about. In verse 1, we're told about a, a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had lots of kids. Hannah has none. Now, you don't have to be a marriage and family therapist uh, to see this wasn't an ideal situation. Polygamy was never God's ideal, but it was a fact of life in ancient Israel. Wives were provided for. Widows and single women often had to scrape by on their own. Wives were at least in part a means of securing children, and children were necessary to pass on and secure the family name. In Hannah's case, it's likely she was Elkanah's first wife. Because she was infertile, he takes a second wife to make sure that his name wouldn't be snuffed out. Now, that would have been awfully difficult for Hannah to accept, I would think. And to make matters worse, Peninnah turns out to be very fertile. She just pops kids out year after year. And on top of that, she tends to be a little bit of a a jerk about it. 
As you read through her story, it sounds like she makes snide remarks like, oh, I'm pregnant again. When's it going to happen for you, Hannah? I have so many kids. And then for Hannah, the worst time of the year was supposed to be the best time of the year. The holidays and vacations. In Hannah's case, as we're told in the story, it's the annual pilgrimage to Silo to offer the sacrifices. Uh, families would go up there. They would offer sacrifices. They'd gather, almost like Thanksgiving for us. They'd gather together and have a feast, make sacrifices and worship. And it would be a special time to connect. And it would be sort of like if you were at the Thanksgiving dinner table and, and that annoying relative. Oh, when are you going to start a family? Is something okay, everything okay with you guys? And you knew that they were not really expressing care. They're just trying to needle you a little bit and, and poke. And that's kind of what Hannah was experiencing. When you're living with unfilled desire, what are supposed to be the best times can often be the most painful ones. Let's continue with the story in verse 5. When the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. So there's a lot of them, it sounds like. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Now, Hannah was a woman of faith, as we're going to see. And maybe the most difficult thing for her to wrestle with was this idea that the Lord had closed her womb. Twice we're told that. You know, this is one of the hardest things to accept, isn't it? Our limitations, our unfulfilled desires, difficult as they may be, no matter how much we struggle with them, are there are things that God could change, but he seemingly does not. That had to be hard for Hannah. I mean, it was God who made her a woman with the capacity for motherhood. He gave her the hunger for a baby, the yearning to be a mother. And our scripture tells us she wept and would not eat. She's at this family gathering. Peninnah has been needling her about all the kids she has, and she doesn't have any. She's feeling very, she's standing, she's feeling very conspicuous in all this, and she would not eat. No, I can't, I'm just going to leave the table, can't eat. She goes off and weeps. And Elkanah steps in in typical male fashion, tries to fix things, and his heart's in the right place, but it doesn't really help. Because sometimes the anguish and the pain, it's just too great in the moment, no matter how much somebody tries to help. Let's continue with the story in verse 9. See how she responds. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh, and now the Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, greatly distressed, prayed the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. So she's greatly distressed. She's beside herself. She weeps bitterly. She feels like a, a failure, maybe less of a woman, She could have become very angry and bitter and blamed God. It could have driven her away from God, but instead it drives her to God. She comes to God and she seeks him. She pours out her heart. Don't forget me. Remember me. Give me a son. And she does it with humility. She recognizes his greatness and his sovereignty. Lord, you are the Lord of hosts. She recognizes her own place. I'm your maidservant. She's humble before him. But she pours out her heart. 
and she makes a vow. Now, the vow was that, you know, Jews believe that anything that had not been cut belonged to the Lord. So like the story of Samson, he was dedicated uh, to the Lord and he didn't cut his hair until he did. And then we know how that story went. And so Hannah vows to set apart a son if God grants her one and give him to God all the days of her life. And it sounds here like maybe Hannah's bargaining with God a little bit. Like, you know, you do this for me. I will give you this. As if we have something to bargain with, something that God wants but can't have. That's foolishness. We can't bargain with God. She's simply acknowledging that if God gave her a son, that song would belong to him. Perhaps she's even becoming to the realization that having children wasn't for her sake primarily, but it's for God's sake. And her offering was a recognition of that. But her, start, her, her prayer doesn't stop there. It's not some quick drive-by prayer. Look what happens next. Verse 12. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Eli was the priest there. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Now talk about pastoral care. You know, can you imagine if you're in the sanctuary, something's heavy on your heart, you're praying and I walk in or Wes or Tyler and like, are you okay? Have you been drinking? I mean, can you imagine how that would make you feel? Misunderstood and just even worse. You, you, you wouldn't blame her if she chose to curl up like a ball and check out, but she responds not in an angry or defensive way, but in a respectful, humble way. Verse 15. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord, I'm a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and, and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman, Hannah, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So that seems all she needed to hear. Eli said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to add my prayer. He doesn't even know what she's praying about. He says, I'll add my prayer to yours and ask that God will grant your petition. And she gets up, she goes on her way, she eats, and she's no longer sad. And then we're told she went home, miraculously she becomes pregnant, and she gives birth to a son named Samuel, who becomes the next great leader for the people of Israel. What does Hannah's story teach us about living with unfulfilled desire? There's a few things, but one obvious thing is that God uses our unfulfilled desire to drive us to him, to seek him, to pour out a heart to him, to, to seek him fervently in prayer. And God answers prayer. And Hannah learns that no one or nothing could fulfill her desire but God, and so she brings her desire to him. And maybe that's part of why God gives us unfulfilled desires in the first place. So we will seek him. So we'll earnestly desire him. So we will pour our hearts in prayer. Otherwise, we, we might not. Now, two verses in the New Testament come to mind when I think about prayer. First, in 1 Peter 5, 7, we're told, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You don't have to be selective about what you bring to him. You can bring whatever your heart aches for, longs for, because you matter to him. Second, Philippians 4, 6. 
We're told, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So we can bring everything. Jesus, remember what Jesus said? Our God is the one who clothes the lilies of the field and, and feeds the sparrows. How much more will he take care of you? There's nothing too small for him, in other words. Now, he won't always give us what we exactly want or ask for, but he does care about what's on our hearts and he does answer according to what's best for us and for his will. And God uses our unfulfilled desires to drive us to seek him in prayer, to seek him, to earnestly pour out our lives to him. But Hannah's story isn't quite as simple as just a prayer being answered. God also uses this unfilled desire in her life, this desire to be a mother, to deepen her walk of faith. And that's something that's easy to miss in this story. The answer to Hannah's prayer, the birth of her son, is not what brings her out of depression. Did you notice that? It's not like she's desperate and depressed. She prays, God answers her prayer, and then all of a sudden she's happy. Look again. It says, after Eli prayed for her, prayed for God to grant her request, it says, she went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. It's like the whole matter is settled for her inwardly at that moment. And all this happens before her prayer is actually answered, before her unfulfilled desire is met. Why? In some ways, it's kind of inexplicable, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's, it's a God thing. This is what Paul was talking about when he says, be anxious for nothing, and so on and so forth. And he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the peace that she experienced. This this trust, this, this, this peace that God was in control, that God was with her, that God loved her. This overwhelming peace beyond her circumstances, despite her circumstances. And this peace comes from working things through in the presence of God and coming to a place where he knows where we know that he understands and we can just leave our unfulfilled desires with him and, and he'll take care of them in one way or the other. And one of the things that happens in the process of trusting God is when we, is when we deepen in our understanding of who he is. And our focus, in other words, shifts from us to him. Robert Browning penned a phrase in one of his poems, "'Tis looking downward that makes one dizzy." It's when we look up at God that things can change. Now, later on in in chapter 2, Hannah sings a song of praise, and she looks up and says, There is no one holy like the Lord, nor is there any rock like our God, for the Lord is a God of of knowledge, of, of wisdom. She looks up, and she sees a God that she can trust, and he has not changed. There is still no one holy like him, nor is there any rock like our God. We can totally rely upon him. And what brings us to that place of reliance? It's our unfulfilled desires. It's our our, our weakness, our failures. Remember what Paul wrote when God speaks to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. That can be our experience as well as we look up and see God and see how he works in a new light and that brings peace even before our desires are fulfilled, even if they are not fulfilled. There's one more thing I want to 
I want to note here about Hannah's story. God uses her unfulfilled desire to accomplish purposes beyond her wildest dreams. I mean, her vow represents a turning point in the history of Israel. Because in his lifetime, Hannah's son Samuel would cleanse Israel of idolatry and he would establish and anoint David as king. But for that to happen, Samuel would need to grow up in the unique environment of the house of God at Shiloh, mentored by Eli the priest. When you read through the story, Hannah keeps her vow. It says, after he was weaned, so a toddler, after he was weaned, she took him to the house of, of Eli and left him there. And she would see him a few times a year. That was it. Now, if Hannah hadn't been brought to that place of desperation through her unfulfilled desire, she never would have made the vow to give him to the Lord. You see, in the midst of unfulfilled desire, we don't always see the bigger picture of what God is doing But make no mistake, God is always doing something. And God is fulfilling his purposes, and his purposes are good. This was the realization that Paul came to in Romans 11. Paul is struggling to understand God's ways. And finally he cries out, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and how unfathomable are his ways. We can't always see what God is doing. But we can be sure that in the plan of God, our pain will not be wasted. And as Hannah watched her son become the great leader Israel needed, she must have realized that. And just as he did with Hannah, God will use our pain as part of his great and grand purposes. So let's get personal. What is the one thing in your life, the one thing in your life that year after year remains an unfulfilled desire? That one place where your soul could easily become discouraged, become embittered. The thing that could maybe possibly drive you away from God. God wants us to bring that to him. He wants us not to become angry or resentful or bitter or despairing, but he wants us to bring those things to him as Hannah did and put them in his hands. And let him lead us through to the greater solution that he's had in mind all the time so that we would, too, have a song of praise on our lips. So what is that one thing? And will you bring it to God? Will you, will you do that? Will you bring it to God? Just, just as Hannah did. You know, living with unfulfilled desire is, is hard and it's difficult. But trust in the Lord because he is good. Put your trust in God because he is faithful. Put your trust in God because he cares for you and understands. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are grateful for your word. And Lord, we, we confess that there are times we don't understand why certain things don't happen in our lives or don't, why do we don't receive certain things. Lord, protect us from becoming bitter and cynical and despairing. Lord, may those things drive us to you, to seek you. Deepen our faith, Lord. Grow our trust. And Lord, we pray that you would meet the desires But if you do not, Lord, we still trust you.
We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.